Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here in our 29th year together. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning, where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. Also, you may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience, download previous broadcasts. You can also go to the free app SoundCloud and download broadcasts there as well. And this Thursday, after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. It's always a great idea to call or text at the beginning of the hour. I take today's calls first, then today's texts second, and then any previous texts that I have either not answered or I believe have not answered fully. That is not the case today, so we don't have any calls or any texts. A perfect time to do so would be right now. Otherwise, you know what? I'll be bloviating I did come across this tidbit I thought was interesting about this month, September, and the NASDAQ. Since 1972, the NASDAQ's average September performance has been a decline of 0.88%, with positive returns 51% of the time. In years when the index was up at least 10% year-to-date, and that would include this year, through the end of September, we'll see, but certainly it's up year-to-date today. The average decline was just under 0.2% and had positive returns 56% of the time. I say this was interesting, but it's frankly irrelevant because if you're invested in the stock market, your time horizon is certainly longer than a month. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512 512- 836-0590. And unless and until I get a call or a text, I think if you don't follow the financial news on a daily basis because you have more important and interesting things to do, there's a really important and interesting debate going on. And I think it's showing up, frankly, in the stock market and the bond market. And that is the outlook for the economy. Are we going to have a recession or are we not? The arguments for having a recession are that we have high interest rates, and that causes it more, it's more difficult for businesses to operate in a high-rate environment. It costs more to borrow money. That reduces profitability. We have a strong job market, and if you have a strong job market you can't, and you have a high interest, you have more operating costs, and that reduces profitability and could lead to a recession. The other thing that, many other things, but another one is the stated Federal Reserve policy. If you think back over the long term, back when Alan Greenspan was chair of the Federal Reserve, he never set a target for inflation or a target for interest rates. In fact, when he would go to Congress for his mandated biannual presentation to the House and the same to the Senate, he'd get done and leave and people scratch their heads and say, what the heck did he say? He he really believed in ambiguity. But by the time that Ben Bernanke came along, 
Uh, he decided, no, what we really need to do is that we need to have clarity about where we're going so that market participants in the economy can understand what's going on. We have a call coming in. I'm going to take that. Joe, you're on the air. How may I help? No bloviation for you. No blo- <laughs> Okay. I'm scared you did to calling. What's up? Well, I'm taking pity on you. You know, nobody loves you anymore. Nobody that's easy. called you. That's so, right. Um, <laughs> minimum distribution questions. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> uh, I've been taking minimum distributions from my 401k uh, as required. Beef, uh, and I'm 79. Before yes. that, I had a pre-tax IRA and a Roth IRA. My wife had a pre-tax IRA and a Roth IRA. Yeah. Uh, last tax year, uh, actually two tax years ago, uh-huh. we rolled over, she and I both, the uh, pre-tax IRAs into our Roth IRAs. Okay. Now, so what she has is a Roth IRA only. Yes. What I have is my 401k yes. and a Roth IRA. Yes. Now, I read some information on the tax changes yes. that indicated when I calculate the minimum distribution for my 401k, yes. when you take the value at the end of the prior tax year, yes. I now have to include the value of my Roth IRA. Really? That's part of the calculation. And I just, I just, you know, I find that horrible because, you know, I just. It is horrible. It is horrible. You've already paid the taxes on the Roth IRA. You're not subject to the required minimum distribution. Money comes out tax-free if you take it out during your lifetime. And the, for everybody else who's, who's listening, what we're talking about here and what Joe's talking about is when you hit mandatory retirement distribution, now it's 73, but back when Joe was 70 and a half, that's what it was, and you have money in, in a 401k and you're no longer working there, or you have money in an IRA, the custodian has to determine the required minimum distribution. It's based on the the previous year-end, calendar year-end value, and there's a table depending on your age. Obviously, the older you are, because you're closer to death, you take a bigger percentage of whatever the value is at the end of the previous year. You're telling yeah, me so that— unless you're invested in a shrink fund. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's still, all of us had shrink funds last year. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but, but it's the same, same mathematics. Yeah. So I that's I've never was this in this new Secure 2.0? Is that where you where you read the that? The way that I was given to understand understand yes. is that it is in the Secure uh, bill, which would lead you to like double taxation. Okay. Well, well, of course <laughs> it would. I paid money on the pre-tax IRA to get it in the Roth, and then it gets gets in the calculation again. It's like being double taxed on Social Security. Oh, geez. That's crazy. Well, I I hadn't heard this or hadn't read this. I'll check with my CPA this week, and I'll see if we have any experts listening this afternoon who will give us an answer. So you kept me from bloviating, and you've given me something to go study. So thanks for your call, Joe. (laughs) Well, well, I'll try to find something else to 
save Good. you and us from bloviation. <laughs> okay. Appreciate it. Bye. You're listening. Bye-bye. You're listening to Money Talk. It's time for me to take a break. A great time for you to call and avoid my bloviation at 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon for another 45 minutes. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text that just came in. Carl, my siblings and I are beneficiaries of a trust that ended in June. The trust holders say their lawyers are still preparing the disbursement paperwork. Is there anything we can do to spend to speed up the slow process other than hiring our own lawyers? Thanks. So if the trust ended, then you are beneficiaries of the trust and they're preparing to paperwork to disperse your rateable share of the corpus of the trust. I'm not aware of anything that you can do to speed that up. If it's a big enough number and you want to hire another lawyer, go to a lawyer and ask her or him if there's a reasonable, what I would call a reasonableness kind of, uh, ad, I don't know who I want to call it a statute, but a, a, where you can actually say, okay, it's reasonable to take three months, but it's not reasonable to take nine months to, to, to do this thing. So I'd maybe even start, you know, I think I would start with a lawyer, one who is one who has dealt with trust. And, you know, you can get some advice for not very much money. And the lawyer may say, look, there's really, you don't have any leverage. There's really nothing you can do. You're just going to have to be patient. Or they may say, no, this is really, really, it's just fallen off their radar. This isn't right. And if you hire me, I'll rattle their cage. I'll write them a, a, a strong letter and we'll get this thing moving. I don't see any other way to do it. Good luck. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Gary, you're on the air. How may I help? Uh, yes, Carl. I just wanted to comment on the yes. fellow who was all concerned that they were going yeah. to start taxing his Roth 401k. Uh, I think he may have misread it. There was a change in the SECURE Act because back before the 2.0, uh-huh. Before Secure Act 2.0, uh, traditional IRAs had an RMD, but Roth right. IRAs did not, whereas right. 401ks, both the traditional and Roth portions had an RMD. And right. That was kind of uneven, and so they corrected that in the Secure Act 2.0, and they said, okay, from now on, the Roth portion of the 401k does not have an RMD, just like a Roth IRA right. does not have an RMD, right. right? But they're not right. starting to tax your your Roth four hundred one k contribution. No, what he said, so what I, his understanding was was that in calculating in calculating the required minimum distribution from the four hundred one k pre tax four hundred one k, you had to add in the value of your Roth IRA. To, which would then cause you to have a larger required minimum distribution. In other words, the, the, if you will, the denominator effect. That's what he was saying. I, so, I, 
I understand what he was saying, yeah. but the fact is, before the Cure Act 2.0, and I'm not sure if this has taken effect yet or not. I'm not. I'm not up yeah. to that age yet, and I don't sure. have an inactive 401k. Right. But at any rate, before that, you did have to take an RMD from the Roth portion. Now I don't okay. know what he read. He didn't okay. read it. I okay, have never heard anything like that. But the Secure no. Act 2.0 did, as I understand, okay. change it to where there is no RMD on the Roth portion of an inactive 401k. Okay. Okay, great. That's really helpful. Thanks so much, Gary. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here is a text. Carl, can you comment on dividend growth funds such as VIG, which I suspect is a Vanguard exchange-traded fund just because of the V and because it has three letter symbol and not a four not a five letter symbol also on international funds should i just buy the entire market such as vxus so let's take those two dividend growth so there's a you can argue uh, and they wouldn't they wouldn't have a fund if they if they didn't believe this was true that if you own a portfolio of companies which have traditionally and regularly raised their dividends that over time, those increasing dividends result in higher stock prices. So if you buy a, a, a stock with a 4% dividend and it raises the dividend every year and nothing else changed and, you, and it still was at a 4% yield, the price of the stock would go up. So it's the math. So the idea is over time, dividend growth stocks, funds, or growth stocks are a, a, a good and reasonable strategy. I have no problem with that. I think you, one thing you do have to realize is that that's an interest-sensitive strategy that in a period of low and falling interest rates, like we had for many, many years, that was that was a, an excellent strategy because the value of those future dividends continued to be very attractive when the ten-year Treasury was trading at one and a half percent. Now, with the ten-year Treasury trading at four point two percent, that move from one and a half to four point two has been difficult for bonds, been difficult for our growth stocks. So if you're willing to live with that interest rents interest rate sensitivity, then I'm okay with that. Now, on international funds, did you buy the entire market? And this is uh, an ETF, it's the Vanguard XUS. And there are other ones. Depend, you can use different uh, indexes. You can use the MSCI. There's also the ACWI, which is the All All Capital World Index. Is that a reasonable thing to do to get international exposure? In my opinion, the answer is yes. Uh, I tend, to, and you didn't ask this, but while from time to time, emerging market funds will do very, very well. I just have learned to avoid them because when they do badly, they do very, very badly. So I think owning a fund like VXUS, and of course I'm not making a recommendation, is a reasonable way to have exposure to the international markets. So thanks. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Austin, you're on the air. How may I help? 
Hello, Carl. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call, and you I've bet. enjoyed your show since '95, <laughs> I think, when I moved Whoa. to Austin. So, kudos to you. Two well, old we, guys we, here. I tell you, we managed to fool all the people all the time. <laughs> there you go. So, a general question that you can give an impromptu answer to, sure. but also I'm fine for you to think about it as well. Okay. And come up with a more detailed answer, sure. but <clears throat> looking at the Federal Reserve's fiscal policy and also the Congress's, you know, spending addiction, yes. and we yes. see this year, and I don't know the exact amount, yeah. this last year, three and a half trillion right. or so increase in the national debt, plus right. another four and a half or something of unfunded liabilities, <clears throat> largest jump ever, I think. Uh, percentage-wise, so right. I, I realize it's high, right. but um, so how can we get this under control? If I grant you a magic wand, yeah. what are the three things you would do, or yeah. five things you would yeah. do so to, it, uh, to sure. approach this, sure. and how can the populace help? Right. So, um, there, for every time this topic comes up, the Federal Reserve Chairman says it's a because he because he or she can't do anything about it. It's a, it's a fiscal issue, not a monetary issue. Said this decries the increasing amount of of federal debt. Having said that, and I I don't have it on the top of my head, but I look at the pie chart of the federal budget, and if you take uh, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. Um, Interest on the debt. Uh, let me read, let's just take yeah. Interest on the debt and defense. It's it's just this huge, vast majority of the budget, and uh, because we live in a representative democracy, no one's going to stand up on the floor of Congress and say, "I think we ought to reduce Medicare benefits," or "I think we ought to." reduce Medicaid benefits, or I think we ought to reduce, some people will say this, but re meaningfully reduce defense spending in a dangerous world. So we didn't get into this mess because uh, these were foolish expenditures. We got into this mess because there was a significant portion of the population who benefited from it. And once you give people an entitlement like Social Security or whatever the case is, they're going to want to keep it. So what are some of the things that can be done? I'm, I'm going to tell you there's some simple answers. Uh, I didn't say that they were likely to occur. So one is, let's just look at Social Security. I'm doing this from memory. If you, if you make more than $160,000, how much do you pay on the extra dollars you earn on social, uh, to Social Security? Zero. So if you made $260,000, you pay the same in Social Security as uh, a person who makes 160. So you could lift the cap. I mean, if you really wanted to do it, you eliminate the cap. So if somebody that makes $500,000 pays 6.2% on $500,000, today he only pays 6.2% on $160,000. There's a, there's one right there. Second is the. Uh, you could change the way and this let's go to social another social security you could we we keep pushing back 
the required minimum distribution age, as you well know, years ago when you started listening to Money Talk, you had to start taking your RMDs at fit at 70 and a half. Now it's 73. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes higher. That's a very popular thing to do because people are living longer and they have many people have very large balances in their IRAs. You could what you could do is you could bring the you could bring the required minimum distribution age down so you get more tax revenues. There's no question that that would be unpopular. Uh, and then uh, you could also uh, in, you could change the way in which uh, on Social Security the way in which the inflation adjustment is made. Uh, and you could raise the age of when you qualify. So there'd be no longer, a, having an early retirement age of 62 when people are living into their 80s and 90s, raise it even more. All of those things would, raise, would do one of two things, either raise revenues or cut expenses. However, I think they'd be highly unpopular. If you'll stay on the phone, Garrett's going to put you on hold. I have a few more thoughts, but it's time for us to take a break. A great time for you to call 512-836-0590. Stick around for the second half of Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. When you have a financial or investment planning question, call or text 512 836 0590. You may also listen online at NewsRadioKLBJ.com right now or go there at your convenience download broadcasts from the past. And also you can go to the free app SoundCloud and get those podcasts as well. Austin asked, uh, I think, a thoughtful question that is on, if you're not thinking about this, it's probably because it's too depressing, but we keep adding to the federal deficit because federal debt because we spend more every year than we take in. And I identified essentially the following aspects uh, that represent in aggregate the vast majority of federal spending, and that's Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid, defense, and interest. You don't have a choice on interest. You got to pay the interest on the debt. Obviously, that gets more expensive at a higher rate environment. I think you'd be hard-pressed to argue that we ought to spend less on defense. It seems to me that the world isn't getting any safer with the activities of Russia and China and other and Iran and others. And that leaves you with Medicaid, which really is health care for low-income people. I don't think that any representative democracy would want to cut that. And that leaves you with Social Security and Medicare. And if you, what you can do is you can increase the amount of Medicare premiums and people on Social Security would have less income. That's going to be a tough one. And I went over Social Security that way and I went, and I went over Medicare. So there you are, Austin. I, I mean, it's deeply frustrating, but those are the levers that I see currently. Right. I would throw out uh, some thoughts. One, what about some type of ratioed or gold standard. I think the, uh, yeah, that's, that's what would happen is uh, it would be uh, remarkably uh, deflationary uh, because to your point, uh, you, if you had to back uh, the currency 
and make it convertible into gold like it was years ago, you couldn't just willy-nilly borrow more money uh, and, expand, and expand the supply of money. Uh, it, other countries, notably Argentina, uh, be, fought inflation by tying their currency to the dollar, and then they and, and people were so upset that they went off the dollar in 2000 or 2001, I think it was, and the company went the country went bankrupt, and now they've gone bankrupt a second time. I say that I mean they don't they they've defaulted on their government debt. So if you were to go and 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 insist that. Uh, that, that the dollar were backed by gold, you'd have, you probably, I, I'm not an economist, I don't want to say you'd have a depression, but you'd have one heck of a contraction in the economy. I just don't see that as, 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 a, pos, as a plausible thing to happen uh, in a country like this. Right. Yep. And, and when you look at government and its spending, yeah. you know, the economists say there's like <clears throat> Corbett Austin spending money on himself. There's Austin spending money on a good friend um, or a family member. Yeah. And then there's the government, someone spending someone else's money they don't know on someone else they don't yeah. know. Yep. And that there's naturally going to be, not saying that they are <clears throat> evil or anything, but there's just naturally not going to be an efficient use of that money. I don't and, disagree. Yeah. You know, and if you think about it, if you go back in American history, so when my grandfather, George Clayton Bowles, was born in the 19th century, and he was a farmer in northeastern Missouri. And if you'd have told him when he was a young man that when he turned 65, the government would send him a check, and if you told him that if his crops failed because of weather, that he would get a check anyway, or if you told them that when he hit 65, he could go get medical care and not have to pay for it out of his pocket, he would have said, you're crazy. That's just not America. Well, it is America. We had the Great Depression. We shifted our views on the role of government. Uh, and, uh, and here we are. And it's, and it's a nonpartisan thing, as you know, because you saw the, what happened during the Biden and the Trump administration. It's just, it's, it's a little bit like if, we, if you and I said, let's give everybody a MasterCard, let's have an unlimited credit limit, and oh, by the way, you don't have to make monthly payments. <laughs> we both know what would happen. People would right. just spend like crazy. That's where we are. It, it comes down to there will, be, there will be a time, whether you and I are alive or not, there will be a time where there will be a cost to the, what we're doing. We won't be able to sell our bonds. I mean, that's what happens to the Argentinians. Nobody trusts them, so they can't sell bonds when they default on them. But we're not even close to that today when you compare us to the other. We're the, we're the world's reserve currency. And unless and until that goes away, we don't have the kind of discipline that you just articulated. There you have it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yes. It's uh, frustrating to be on a ship where you cannot alter its course as it's, it's heading right. toward an iceberg. That's exactly right. So, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for listening for thank, so long. Thank you very much. And if, you bet. Good visiting with you. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I've got one text. I don't have any other texts or calls. Call and text 512-836-0590. Here's the text. Hi, Carl. The authorities, question mark IRS, will sometimes change the required minimum distribution divisor. 
A couple of years ago, it was changed to decrease the amount of the RMD going forward. Is there any rhyme or reason for when this is done? This is from Maryland. I, th- I don't know this, Maryland. This has always been my assumption, and that is that the divisor is a function of life expectancy. And so I'm assuming that they use life expectancy tables. I mean, the life insurance, as I've often said on this broadcast, when you buy whole life insurance, boy, and well, that matter, term, the insurance company knows how knows how long people are going to live. They know it by gender. They just don't know it by name. And they price the premiums based on that. And so if if you are a non-smoker, you have a different life expectancy than if you're a smoker and your premiums are priced that way. If you're if if you're if people's life expectancy extends, then you have more time from which to, for which to take out the required minimum distribution. That would lead to a change in the divisor. I haven't read that. That is it seems common sense to me that it's a function of life expectancy. What I think is really interesting is given the pandemic, life expectancy may have fallen. Would that then divide, would that then change the divisor on the required minimum distribution in the other direction? In theory, it would, and people would have to take more money for the required minimum distribution. I have read nothing that suggests that's the case. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. We're down to a little over our last quarter hour. And once again, you're going to listen to me bloviate for the next 15 minutes if you don't call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for another quarter hour. When you have a financial or investment planning question, give me a call at 512 512- Eight three six zero five ninety. I was thinking during the break we were talking about required minimum distributions, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but you may may, may not have heard this. Uh, my colleague Lindsay made a really important distinction, and that's the difference between life expectancy and longevity. Uh, and what the, the really comes down to, so frequently here on Money Talk and and in just conversations with people, people will say to me, gosh, I'm going to retire next year when I'm 65, and I really think I probably ought to just put my money in CDs, keep it in the bank. And my response to that is, that you may be you may be confusing or putting together or conflating longevity with life expectancy, because life expectancy is the entire population and and it's it is what it is, but a lot of people are living a lot longer. And I would submit to you that as a listener to Money Talk, the odd if you're interested in financial and investment planning, that's because you're a saver, because you think about your future. The odds are you take pretty good care of yourself, you have access to health care, and you probably have access to good nutrition. And so you have a longevity that somebody else doesn't have. And as a result, if you get too conservative too soon in your retirement or near retirement age, then you have the real risk, and the real risk is running out of money. Because when you think about retirement planning, 
There are three things you need to know. Guess what? You don't know them. How long are you going to live? Secondly, what's going to happen to the cost of living? And third, what's going to be the rate of return on your portfolio, however it's invested, whether it's in the bank or in mutual funds or a bond portfolio or whatever. So as a result of that, I think it's very common because we have fear of loss and because we're 65 or 68 or 71 and we know that periodically the stock market can easily drop 20% or even more, we become risk averse and that can be a real mistake. Uh, I happen to going to be having a thinking of risk aversion. This reminds me of something. Uh, a number of you know that I chair an investment conference every year in December, and uh, one of the speakers this year is going to be um, a person named Richard Thaler, T H A T H A L E R, who really um, in, is involved and got a Nobel Prize having to do with behavioral. Economics. It looks like I just got a text, so bear with me. Let me get to that here. Okay, Carl, what does an unemployed 59-year-old male between now and retirement, businesses do not hire old people, and Social Security cannot be started now? Well, first of all, I'm sorry, uh, and, I, and, and I think I can't prove this, but I, my opinion uh, fits with yours. And that is that you, you face age discrimination. It's against the law, by the way, just like race discrimination, gender discrimination. But it is, it is a difficult thing. Uh, I would tell you, uh, and again, I obviously don't know your skills uh, or your work experience, but if you're listening to this broadcast and you live in Texas and if you live in central Texas, uh, we, have a, we have a healthy job market. Uh, part of uh, the hard part here, and I'm not a psychologist, but the hard part here, here is there may be work for you, and it may not be work that you would like, uh, and I understand that. But there, I, I was <laughs> just give you an example. I was I, on the way to work. I drive by a Jiffy Lube. I'm not suggesting you get a job there. I'm just giving you a sense of the of what's going on. And the starting compensation was eighteen dollars. Uh, and that's, I believe, in Texas, if I'm not wrong, that's, a, that's over two times the minimum wage. That's the kind of economy in which we're living. So I would be aggressive uh, and do two things. I'd be aggressive in looking, and two, I would be modest in my expectations uh, because you will face uh, uh, age problems, and you may have to start at something that you don't like uh, and hope that you work your way up from there. So I wish you the best. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I thought I got something here. I may have gotten uh, an email about what we're talking about. Let's see. Oh, well, wait, wait. Here's a text. Okay. Here we go. I'm 40 years old with no 401k. I barely make enough money to get by. What would be a good thing to do or invest in to start saving for retirement? Okay, I think you just have to start with really with a modest expectation. And what I would do if I were you is I would set up a periodic investment plan and I'd do it with a mutual fund. I'd start with you know a small amount of money 
go look at the websites for the big fund companies like Fidelity and Vanguard and the big broker dealers like Schwab and see if you can find a stock in a US stock index fund that has a low minimum investment okay then the what people tell me is once you get on a regular savings and investing plan you will forget about it and as a consequence you'll leave it alone and let it grow so i would tell you that's what i would do if i were if i were you set up an account and set it up so that every pay period they take out $100, $150, whatever the case is, and do it over the years. If you're fortunate enough to be in a position where your income grows over time, then pay yourself first. In other words, if you get a raise or you're working overtime and you have more income or something like that, then increase the money that you put, that you put aside. Because, yeah, you're right, 40 years old, you need to get started, you don't have an employer plan, and you're really living on a paycheck-to-paycheck basis. But you're smart enough, that sounds a little self-serving, to listen to this broadcast, and you're smart enough to know that you've got a real problem. So the best thing to do, most people, frankly, uh, who live paycheck-to-paycheck, in my experience, probably don't have a budget uh, and it, what I would do if I were you is I would get a receipt for every expenditure I had. If you're a renter, you've got, you, you have that record. Uh, you buy gas, you have that record. Uh, you buy groceries, you have that record, etc. And what, add all that up, say at the end of the week or the end of two weeks, and <clears throat> put it in categories. And a lot of times people will say, gosh, I didn't realize I spent that much money on whatever, fill in the blank. And that may be a way in which you can alter your behavior just a little bit and begin to have some free cash flow to put into that mutual fund strategy. And good luck to you. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Eugene, you're on the air. How may I help? Uh, yeah, I'm in the car. Uh-huh. I'm breaking in and out, but anyway, uh, one of the GOP candidates, the youngest one, said that if we could increase GDP from what traditionally is around one or two percent right. up to eight percent, so we yeah. have more output, that we could solve the debt and Social Security yeah. uh, issue. That didn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. Your common sense is correct. You're talking about a multi-trillion, I don't know, $20 trillion a year economy. And to think that you can increase that from the traditional growth rate of low single digits to 8% is just, that's, what's what, that's what psychologists call magical thinking. Uh, there's no practical way to do that. If you look at all the developed economies in the world, nobody grows at that rate. Uh, and I don't think there's a serious economist that ever thinks that going forward, the U.S. can grow at 8%. So I know who you're talking, I think you're talking about Mr. Ramaswamy. And uh, I know he's a yeah. success- successful businessman, but he clearly isn't an economist because that is frankly just a wackadoo idea. So your common sense, uh, <laughs> your common 
sense has uh, is, is overwhelmed us. So congratulations. <laughs> okay. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's C. Carl, what are the factors that need to happen to have value outperform growth? <laughs> Boy, I sure wish I knew the answer to that. So for everybody else, uh, one way to think about uh, the stock market is to divide companies by their market capitalization. That's the price per share times the number of shares outstanding. So you have large cap, mid cap, and small cap. Another way to do it is to divide them by what are called their growth and value characteristics. Classically, that's meant that growth companies uh, have more rapidly growing businesses, rapidly growing revenues, not necessarily profitable. Probably the common stock is not going to pay a dividend because they need all the cash flow they can to grow the business. Value stocks, on the other hand, value companies traditionally have been companies with good balance sheets uh, and have cash flow that allow them to pay out dividends, but they don't necessarily have the opportunities in their line of business to rapidly grow. And there are periods of time in the stock market, and this person is alluding to this, when growth stocks outperform value stocks, and that was the case uh, after the global financial crisis uh, up until uh, through 2021. And then there are periods of time when value stocks outperform growth stocks. And that occurred when the dot-com bubble burst in March of 2000. And from then until the global financial crisis, value stocks outperformed. I think now with rising interest rates, that makes future dividends, I beg your pardon, future cash flows and earnings less attractive. That puts pressure on growth stocks. Uh, And we're in a market right now that is very narrow in terms of its leadership. Some people say there are seven companies like NVIDIA that, that generally put out the vast majority of the gains in the stock market this year. So value stocks have underperformed just like international stocks have. I think what has to happen uh, is uh, rates have to stay here, uh, probably a softening of the economy because value stocks or companies are generally considered to be uh, more defensive. But there's no rule that says what's going to (laughs) happen. I share your frustration because I like to be a value investor, but that's frankly just the way it is. Okay, let's see. Here's one. A text. Ready to retire at age 67. I will have $1,150,000 in my IRA. If I take 5 to 6% until age 70 and then take Social Security dollars and then reduce my draw from my IRA to 2% for a while, is that a good plan? Income will be $5,000 from my IRA. 50000 from spouse income, we will have zero debt. I hope this makes sense. Actually, it makes a heck of a lot of sense. And for everybody else who's listening, what this person is saying is that, that he or she is wise. They've been a saver and investor if they have a million one hundred and fifty thousand in the IRA, and they recognize that postponing 
uh, your retirement, your Social Security to 70 is a really wise thing to do. From full retirement age to 70, the benefit grows at 8% per year, and there's no guaranteed 8% investment that you can make. So you take a more aggressive withdrawal rate from your IRA, in this case 5 to 6%, for those three years, and then you turn on the social, well, frankly, you don't turn it on, they turn it on because you don't have a choice at 70, and that allows you with that new income to reduce your withdrawals from your IRA. Does that make sense? Frankly, I think that's a terrific idea, uh, and I would just say, and I'm sure you already know this, like I said earlier in the broadcast, don't be too conservative with your asset allocation. But doing this in a stair-step way seems to me to make a lot of sense. Then you won't have to have to take money out of your IRA until you're 73 years of age. So good luck to you, and I think that's a great idea. Well, been a lot of fun this afternoon. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Garrett for doing his great job and to remind you, as I do every Saturday after the news at 4, be sure and tune in to Money Talk. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 